0: Hi everybody, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I'm continuing to do this series of webinars to help p- at horse people understand more about some of the things they might not know when it comes to managing their horses, uh, whether that's teeth, feet, back, saddle, or rider. Um, and of course, today my guest is Rebecca Husted, who has been, she is our like preparedness webinar person. <laughs> It's all the things you don't want to think about, but you really should so that you're prepared and it's taken care of in advance. So if something should happen, you already have a plan. And that's the most important thing, right? To have a plan. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for coming back yet again.
1: (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here. As usual, it gives people a chance to ask questions and those kind of things. So uh, it's great. Let's see, it says host participant participant screen sharing disabled.
0: So I, just, a- I just need to make it co-host, that's all. I just have to be yeah. friendly here. <laughs> there we go. You got it. There we go. So Rebecca has her own playlist. If you've missed any of her webinars, just go to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel and look under playlist. You will see her name, Rebecca Husted. And I think this is number six, six, seven.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um,
0: all really good webinars and take action. If you've learned something on her webinars that you can do something about, take that action. You will not regret it.
1: And the best thing is this is being uh, recorded. So if there's anything that's a lot of detail on a slide that you can't get, you can always come back to the recorded version and get it. And, uh, we'll follow up with some other educational materials as usual. So we're going to talk about flooding preparedness, not, uh, uh really response so much um i did prepare this in uh, i'm sure when you heard loretta lynn ranch out in tennessee it's about mm, 60 miles north of where my parents live Uh, they lost their ranch manager two days ago in that huge flood out there so um, i wanted to make sure that we memorialized him with this presentation i don't know him personally but several of my friends do know him and they um, know the family very well so very sad All right, so we're going to talk about flooding preparedness. This is not preparedness. This is waiting too late, in my personal opinion. I often upset people with (laughs) my comments about those kind of things, but it's important. What we're going to try to do today, as usual, is uh, we're going to have some graphic photos. We're going to have a lot of difficult ideas, maybe some offensive comments. I'll just go ahead and apologize for those now. Uh, I try to get people to laugh a little bit and and change the way you think about things and what you can do that's an actionable item uh, for preparedness, in this case, for flooding. So whether you realize or not, whether you're standing or sitting, you are sitting in a watershed right now, unless you happen to be on that half a millimeter drainage divide between something that goes to the Pacific and something that goes to the Atlantic. Um, But this is just one picture of the big, watersheds that we have in North America that uh, drain our country. And it doesn't matter whether you live in a desert or a forest or you live in a mountain, you live down in a valley. From where you are, water is still draining downhill because most of us don't live at zero feet of elevation, which would be literally in the ocean. So everything's draining downhill from you to the ocean. And uh, it sort of depends on how high you are. And uh, there's a lot of other factors. But if we think about that as precipitation collector, precipitation being anything that's that's uh, snow, ice, water that's falling, uh, it's always going towards the ocean. And it's more than willing to take us with it if we're not really careful and all the other things that we that we hold. Uh, Wendy and I were just talking a little bit before, you know, about how some of the things that are changing as far as. Um, climate change and flooding predictions and those kind of things. This is an article that came out in the New York Times uh, a little over a year ago, and they were looking at some of the old FEMA estimates for what areas um, had a percentage of properties that were a risk of flooding during a major storm. And then they had some independent researchers' new estimates. And if you notice, if you you don't look at anything else, it's darker on the right which means there's a much higher percentage of properties that are at risk of flooding. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it has to do with climate change, some of it has to do with um, how we uh, are terraforming the planet. Some of it has to do with changes in uh, coastal flooding, uh, the number of, of storms that are hitting us, those kind of things. But in general, most places are affected, and some of it comes down to, Wendy, you know, our human tendency to say, oh, my God, what a beautiful valley. I think I'll build my house and put my barn there. And then we forget about the reason the valley's there is because Mother Nature um, has been sending water down there for a long time. So a lot of these things are changing, and part of the reason they're changing is because we've gotten so much better at our modeling and the data that we pull in, or not we, but the USGS and the geological uh, hydrology people. So I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of information about on the right hand side, I just randomly picked a picture of a sort of a beautiful farm area where there's a lot of horse farms and that kind of stuff up in Virginia. And on the bottom right picture is a picture of what our suburbia is starting to look like all over uh, north america and the biggest difference between those two things other than the fact that it's not as pretty is all of the roof and all of the asphalt is impervious surfaces so those impervious surfaces make it impossible for rain to come down hit a surface and drain in it drains off it floods across that Surface until it gets to a storm drain or something. And as human beings, we've been terraforming and, and trying to engineer these things. So, what we do is we shunt it to a river or a stream. Well, guess what? When it's moving that fast and it gets into that river or that stream and it doesn't have a chance to trickle down through the into the aquifer or into the groundwater storage, uh, we get problems. And it ain't your problem, it's who's downstream of you. And so, all of a sudden, You know, if you're living in that beautiful place in Virginia, but you've got all that housing um, above you in the in your floodplain. Guess what? Eventually you're going to endure some of the pain from all those big uh, asphalt surfaces and roofs and those kind of things. So a lot of that comes down to what kind of soils you live in. And I am not the expert on this kind of stuff. Okay. But it has to do with the soil characteristics. I live on sand. I, I chose where I live. Literally uh, two miles away is the is the um, clay soils. And, and I said, no, I don't want to have to live on clay. So I live in sand. It drains a lot easier. Um, how much your soil is saturated? This week, we've been getting lots of rain. If it rains again today, I'm going to have water sheeting across my driveway. Um, know, what kind of soils do you have? Uh, And then, of course, the slope of the land. If you live on a very steep surface, of course, you're going to have water moving faster, which means it can't drain in. So you're going to find out why this is important here in a little while. So let's do a little thought experiment. Let's just say that it rains one inch, and we're going to measure it over one square mile. So one square mile is a mile by a mile. It's just a square. How many gallons would that be? turned out that some poor booger had to sit down and figure that out. And it comes out to be 17 million something gallons. Okay. Well, Wendy, where I live, it's not unusual to get four inches of rain. Um in you a
0: just very got short four year. inches yeah. of rain last week.
1: <laughs> exactly. In just three hours, I can get four inches of rain very easily. We did it last week. So how much is that in gallons? That's 69 million gallons. And and why. How, you know why is that a big deal, and why does that? Oh, you froze! Much, how big is that? Um, it's a lot. Look at my drainage basin by my house. The creek that comes by my house, two three square miles, and it turns out that when I got that four inches of rain, that drainage basin had to process 159 million gallons in about three hours. That's 242 swimming pools. Uh, It's impossible to imagine how much water that is. Now we will talk about how I know how big my drainage basin is here in a little bit. And every one of you guys is going to be able to figure that out for where you live. Um, And that's part of this presentation. So a couple educational tools that we have. If you go to USGS website, there is so much information and mapping capabilities and all these kinds of things on their website. It's amazing. And if you look, all those little dots on this paper are from the water dashboard, which basically is collectors that have been put in stream beds and they're constantly collecting 24 seven. Some of them even have cameras and they're looking at how much water's coming through there. What's the temperature of the water? How much crap is there? in the water. Uh, they literally do have measurement. It's just absolutely amazing when you start putting the data together, and especially over time, because they and, and I couldn't believe that some of the data went back that far. It's just absolutely amazing. Hey, Rebecca, so
0: this is, I, I yeah. Rebecca, I need to stop you for a second and change which internet I'm on because I'm breaking up. It always wants oh, to grab okay. the external. So hang with me, I am going to switch okay. network Okay, are you back? I'm back. I can hear you. Okay, great. We should be better because it was starting to break up and then I realized why. Oh. It goes to the okay. external, the outside one is to the inside one. I don't know. Okay, that's okay.
1: So this is the website of interest to most of you guys. So if you go to the water data at usgs.gov website, you can actually pull the information for your stream, your river that is local. So I just went to mine um, the other day and actually I pulled it up again today and, and updated it and got the information. For example, you know, you can look at precipitation total in inches since August 16th. You can tell that I've had about two and a half inches over in the Oconee River since last week. Um, you can look at the gauge height. Now that's actually at the bridge and I'm going to show you the here the bridge in a little bit. Um, Looking at the real-time hydrographs, I can look at what's the gauge height. What is the discharge in cubic feet per second? Why do we care? (laughs) Because if I'm going to drive across that bridge, (laughs) I want to make sure it's not in flood stage, right? So uh, those are the things that are important. And some of these actually have live cameras, too. So if you go to your state in in the uh, waterdata.gov, usgs.gov, you can actually find that for your little streams and, and rivers close to you.
0: You use this as an example.
1: example. There's my dad. My dad always said, look at the height of the bridges, look where they put the road, pull out a terrain map and a flood map, and do not build your house or your barn below that. And he told me that when I was a kid, and it's still true. <laughs> and so when I came here, that's what I did. I got the soil maps, I got the flood maps, I got the terrain maps, and I looked and said, hey, where's that house? Where's the creek? Oh, I'm, uh, let's see, I'm 60 feet above that. If, like you said, Wendy, if it gets up 60 feet, we're in biblical times, okay? (laughs) But what I did was I went ahead and and looked at that information at Milledgeville, and that's the bridge. When I first drove over here, I was like, I drove across the bridge, and I was like, wow, that bridge sure is way the heck up here. I wonder why the heck it's up here so far. So I went and looked, what is a river cresting? The drawing that I have there with the red lines is the estimated of the actual bridge and i've sort of estimated the the heights of the river from obviously low water and why the heck in georgia would you have a bridge 50 feet tall it just seems crazy i mean you do that out west a lot but why in georgia well it turns out that just moderate flood stage is 32 feet because this is right downstream from a dam and it handles a huge amount of water so what that means to me is if you live somewhere that has a river and has big bridges like this, uh, you need to be looking around before you buy this stuff. Now you can buy flood insurance and all those kind of things, but I don't know about you, Wendy, uh, insurance never pays back enough. You know, it's, it's, and it's, uh, not,
0: it's just the it's just drama not it. of it all is not worth it.
1: It's just not worth it. You do not want to play that silly game. So I'm, I'm all about preparedness and prevention in the first place. So, you know, these are the kind of data that you can pull off those hydrographs. You can spend hours looking at these kinds of things. And it was really funny because I, I, I put a red line there that says the approximate 40 foot gauge height, which is, you know, well above um, uh, flood stage, uh, major flood stage. And you can see that on several occasions it's gone well above that. So that's why the bridge is that tall, because they know you got to be above 40 feet to be safe with that bridge. Otherwise, the bridge is going to get taken out. And so they're not dumb, they've figured it out. So we need to be smarter about how we do these things and figure it out, especially before we put it in. It's perfectly fine to have first um, pasture. Uh, it's perfectly fine to have those kind of things. But when you start putting in barns and fixed facilities and houses, you got to be more careful about where you do these kind of things. So I, I also want to highlight to you guys something called StreamStats, which is also a USGS product. And you can literally use the StreamSats website to go down and find your house on your road all the way down to the very details. And I I highlighted it in a little red box where my house is, but you notice those little streamlets are blue. And if you click on close to my house, uh, downstream from my house slightly, I clicked on that. And then what I'm able to do is actually determine the size of that drainage basin. And that's where I got that number from that's the entire basin that's draining past my house on this little creek that's called crooked creek um, around my house so why does that matter because it's about 2.3 square miles and that is important to me because i want to know how much water can come down through that area that's actually what they're using on flood prediction maps and those kind of things. There's some people who live in places, Wendy, where they cannot get flood insurance. And I'm like, hmm, if Would they're you? not gonna give you flood insurance, cause they know better. <laughs> and it turns out that all of this stuff has been updated so much. The regression is online and you can do it for little teeny tiny creeks or you can do it for big rivers. It's, it's amazing. Depends on how much, uh, whether or not you're on uh, fiber or not. I can't do it from my house cause <laughs> I don't have fiber. Anyway, one of the first things I've got to get you guys to understand is there is no such thing. You hear this in the media, it's a 100-year flood, it's a 500-year flood, it's a 1,000-year flood. There's no such thing. The media actually came up with that because I guess they're sort of dumb and they couldn't figure it out. What it is, is it's a frequency analysis at how often does an event like that happen? So I've given you an example here. Um, We're gonna assume Uh, They got 15 inches of of rain out in Tennessee, so I used the 15 inches here. There's a 1 in 500 chance that 15 inches of rainfall is going to fall in a particular area in a 24-hour period during any given year. Okay, so we're going to say, hey, that's a predicted 500-year recurrence interval. That means it might happen once in a 500-year recurrence, but it could also happen next year. And that's what, why when they say once in 500 years or whatever, it gets very confusing to people. Um, it's really just a frequency analysis, and it could happen at any time. Now, it probably won't happen, but the way things are going, Wendy,
0: <laughs> things are well, changing so much. It reminds me of Ellicott City in Maryland, where a couple of years ago they had the, you know, 500-year flood, and it took out the Main Street through the town, and the next I think in the next year or within two years, it happened again. And it took out the, you know, it went right down the main street. The
1: videos that- of that oh, event yeah. were awful and yeah. it was absolutely horrific. And, and you know, it can happen. And part of that has to do probably with a lot of uh, new homes and things being put upstream. Yeah. Um, but those kind of changes, that's why it's important to look around and see what's in your area. Because when those things start to change, it's sort of like somebody's going, Hey, you, you need to move the barn. (laughs) Sometimes people can't take a hint, right? So anyway, I know that's a busy slide, but that is really to prove to you guys it's not uh, it's a media spin to try to say it's a one in a five hundred year. It can happen next year. So it just has to do with math. And I, I guess most people don't like to do math. When you pull these reports, this happens to be the report for my property. You can take a look at the 0.2%, which is your 500-year supposed flood uh, reoccurrence. Um, You can take a look at, you know, I would have to get to 254 feet per cubic second, uh, cubic feet per second, coming down through my creek to get to the, quote, 500-year reoccurrence. And even if that happened, it would only come up about 10 feet. So you can look at these kind of things, and that's why this website, the stream stats, is really important for you guys to take a look at. And it's free, and it's on the Internet, and you can, you can download it. The other thing that I always encourage people to do is get a topographic map of where you live. Uh, this is not the place to learn about how to use a topographic map, but uh, anybody in the military can teach you about what a topo map is. Um, and there's obviously free resources online, too. But you can go to that website again through usgs.gov and get a topographic map of where you live. It can be of your entire county. You can do just your little city. You can do right around your house like I have here. And you notice that my house is right below the 500 foot contour. And then you look down there where the blue stuff is, and that's about the 430 foot uh, contour, which means my house is almost 70 feet above where the creek is. And that's important. When you start talking about water, you don't want to be in the area where um, the water's coming up. So that's just fundamental to understanding, I think, for floodplains. And I'm not sure that anybody ever puts this information out. So what's really funny is I did all that to check. And then Georgia has a flood map program. Most states have their own. They all look a little bit different. So you'll have to do a little bit of hunting for your particular state. And if you can't find it, you can always get a hold of me. But the flood mapping program, if you look at my house, which is a little red dot there in the center, and then you look at the slight blue, guess what? That shows what the worst case scenario for the flood would be. And it's right above my pond. It's right above uh, the bottom side of my pastures. So it matches pretty well with what we already took a look at with the effect um in my area from this thing so anyway uh the point being there's lots of resources out there for you guys to educate yourself about that kind of thing
0: so so, so the bottom line here is if you haven't built your house or barn go check out these maps determine your floodplain and make sure you're above it. You know, if you're buying a house, go check out the maps and make sure the house you're buying is above it. If you're going to build a barn or rent or even board in a barn. You might want to go check out the maps and make sure your horse is going to be above it, right?
1: Yeah, a girlfriend of mine, she kept her horse out in uh, San Diego, and they actually had a great uh, solution because they had so many floods so often. They actually had a great solution, but that's the first thing that she was like. Hmm, this is interesting. She gets there and they're like, "Well, this is your paddock for flooding." She's like, "What?" She, they they had little 10 by 10s for every single horse, and they had built up the area, and if it flooded, everybody was expected to get their horses and put them in their paddocks. Wow. And uh that was just part of their the way they did things. And I was sitting there thinking, "Wow. I mean, <laughs> but they had a plan. So at least they had a plan." So Great. uh one of the things that you guys have got to understand uh you should not be walking around in flood water you shouldn't be driving around in flood water particularly not with a horse trailer um, but you never know you can't see anything under flooded roadways you can't see anything in the dark and uh, you just don't want to be moving around in this kind of stuff so if it occurs you got to get yourself and your animals to higher ground wherever that higher ground may be preferably before the, the flooding comes which means you're looking at the the um, weather more often than some people already do and uh, really avoid those areas that are flooded. And I'm going to show you some of the reasons why, because you just don't want to put anything close to those areas. They can they can fail at any time. Turn around. Don't drown is one of the things that the fire service has put out over the years trying to get people to not try. It looks like it's only three inches high, but if it's moving fast enough, it can can take your car uh, or your truck. Off. Well, how many
0: times do we see a, you know, on the TV, a flood and people are trying to drive through it? I mean, it yeah. happens
1: all the time. And and it's very frustrating because the thing is that just a couple inches of water, you don't know how fast it's moving. If it's moving really fast, it can literally move your car off into the water. And then the problem, Wendy, is once a car goes into the water, often it turns over. And when it turns over on its side or on its roof, uh, from the fire perspective, um, becomes so unusual uh, situation, your brain can't really figure out what's going on. And then you've got to try to get your windows open. You've got to try to get out and God forbid, you've got a child in the back seat in a, in a you know, you know, nope. seatbelt. Yeah. Um, so just, it's not worth it. And this, you know, w- there's thousands of pictures of, uh, of many different communities. This just happens to be one where you can see there's, there's nowhere you can go because everything's flooded. If I tell you not to drive around in, in flood water, there's nowhere you can go. And you will see some military and you will see some fire and rescue emergency vehicles moving around and those kind of things. But a lot of those, those vehicles are much higher. They're made for that kind of thing. They're specced for that kind of thing, and they still lose them once in a while. So it's just it's just not worth it. So get out before you have to. So as usual, Wendy, you know, we talked about there's all these different methods for planning and, and developing our farm disaster plans. And you get the poor one, which is, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? And then we have the good one, which is, hey, you know, what are some of the things that we can do right before the disaster? But the best one is why you guys are here right now. I'm speaking to the choir. You're, you're not being impacted right now, but you're looking around and you're saying, hey, how can I come up with a plan? Where are my resources? I'm going to take a little bit of time and effort out of my day to try to plan this for me and my animals. So that's why you guys are here. So, yay. That's what it's all about this is some of the homework we've talked about this kind of homework on many new, uh, webinars, before. and the ones i'm highlighting today is find your property on the terrain maps the flood maps the fire maps if you live you know usually we're talking about wildfire too but what whatever kind of maps that are going to impact you in this case flooding and uh, water and then update and read the fine print on your insurance so flood insurance uh normal insurance business insurance if you're running your your barn as a business you need to make sure that you have read through and checked because there's so many horror stories of people who have been paying on their insurance premiums for years and then something happens and then they don't get a payout because they didn't read the fine thing and whenever it comes to water i can promise you there's a lot of insurance things that don't pay when you think they would so Just be very, very careful. Have somebody that knows what they're looking at, look over it with you. And then of course, all the other uh, prevention and pre-plans that we normally talk about. So evacuation and shelter in place are the other two things that we're gonna talk about. So that's what we're here for, networking, planning, and preparing now. I cannot imagine, Wendy, trying to get horses in a situation like this. This is, you can see the yellow boat in the background. Those are some responders that are trying to get to where the horses are. Everything in flood water is covered up. You can't see where the fences are. You can't see where the holes are. Uh, any of the normal obstacles, the horses can't see them either. And so they get caught in fences, they get trapped in barbed wire, they, they get step into things, uh, all those kinds of things. And, and that's, it's, it's just extremely dangerous for them. It's dangerous for us. And of course, when you're talking multiples of animals, uh, can you imagine swimming with these animals, trying to get them to safety? extremely dangerous and this is why emergency responders and fire departments say "Ah, we don't do large animal rescue because that's too dang dangerous and i don't blame them that is an extremely dangerous situation um, that obviously someone should have thought ahead for that and the the biggest thing with water is not only is it physically dangerous there's other things in the water with you and that is the biologics the the funguses the pythiosis the all those other things that the veterinarians worry about after an animal's been exposed to water for a long time. So Wendy, all of us has had the experience of sitting in a tub too long, and when you get out, your fingers are all, you know, sort of funny. Well, what happens if you are in dirty water for too long? Uh, what happens is eventually, the, the way your body normally protects you, uh, if you get that much water in there, sometimes some water can sneak into the cells. And what it usually brings in with it is, bacteria and fungus and those kind of things that might be in the water. And the worst thing about flood water is it's not just water. It's whoever had a septic treatment plant upstream of you that's over overdone. So there's chemicals. there's manure from animals as well as humans in the water. There's everything that's in everybody's little backyard. they got they, when do they always got that little shed and inside the shed, what's in it? Hell I don't know. It's got pesticides, herbicides, ant killer, uh, oil,
0: fuel.
1: you know, chemicals and all this crap. And most people have never touched it in 15 years. It's just sitting there, but now it's in the water. And once it's in the water with you, uh, time and time again, rescuers, responders, people who get trapped in these kind of situations, they end up at the hospital because they've got some creep and crud or they've got some unusual thing that that happens to their skin. And obviously it happens to animals too. So this happens to be one horse. Uh, She actually survived it, but I can tell you guys that this is not a fun thing for her. It's not a fun thing for you. And I bet you it's not a fun thing for your wallet either, because this is 24 hour treatment at the vet vet clinic um, to, to try to help deal with this. This is basically, the way to think about it, Wendy, is it's like a burn, even though it's water, It's like a burn because what the effect on the skin is it's just very friable you can see that it's actually peeling off and um, it's just an awful thing to have to treat and of course uh, there's some of these injuries that are just not survivable for the horses Um, these are fortunately some examples of horses who did survive these kind of things but it literally looks like a burn and uh, it has to be taken very seriously it you need to if if your animal's been affected by this it obviously needs veterinary treatment immediately to try to to get the animal through these things and it can happen even if they're only standing in a foot of water you know these happen to be horses that were standing in deep water but it can if they're standing in a couple of a couple inches of water uh, up above their their uh, hooves for days they can have some of similar injuries
0: um, it reminds me of when Houston flooded the that there were a lot of horses that got caught in that. I flood. think some
1: of these horses were actually from the Houston flood. Yeah,
0: because that was one where I yeah. particularly remember the, the floodwaters yeah. with the horses. Like this and... one? Yeah. yeah. So yeah.
1: part of the challenge is if people, you know, you guys got to remember the emergency responders are looking at this and they're like, OK, people first. Now we got the people out. Oh, now we got to go get these animals out. Do we want to do that or not? And they're looking at it from the perspective of how dangerous is it to do? And if you think you're going to have a firefighter go out there on a horseback and rope other horses and bring them in, that's just not going to happen. It's really dangerous to do. Swimming with horses is extremely dangerous. We've all done it. I hope you guys have done it. If you've never gotten to swim with a horse, it's a lot of fun, but it's friggin' dangerous and nothing makes you more. I mean, they're so powerful. You can just feel them just coursing through the water. um but you certainly don't want to do it in the flood water with the logs and the fences and all those other kind of things. And the panic. Um, I mean the horses are
0: panicking. Exactly.
1: And there's a lot of horses, Wendy, that don't know how to swim. They sort of got to learn to swim. It's just like us. So and that's the whole point of this slide is yes there's options. There's shelter in place on your front porch options. There's uh some friends of mine over in New Zealand they actually lifted this horse out by a helicopter because it was in pretty nasty swift water and they just couldn't take the chance on, and of course, the, the bank was like rock and it was like this angle, so they just lifted it out with a helicopter. But some of the things that people try to do, you're, you're really putting yourself at, at risk and we just really can't suggest that. So, what we really need for flooding is to think about having an evacuation plan where you have to leave, okay? It, it's not going to work, we got to go. And that evacuation plan, we always talk about these all hazards evacuation plans, looks very similar to every other evacuation plan for any other kind of disaster. Making sure you got a truck hitch, making sure you got plenty of fuel, you know, your animals are easy to trailer, Uh, your trailer's ready to roll, you've got some food, you got water, you got your valuables. Uh, Everybody knows the plan in your family so that somebody doesn't end up here when they're supposed to be there. Uh, and you're always getting the updates on your weather radio, your fire radio, your media, whatever you're doing. Um, You know, you don't want to be waiting this late. So, that's the evacuation plan. And I will tell you that this is like one of the most, I hope this runs, this is one of the most amazing, I always tell people, teach your horses to come. I hope you guys can see this. Can you see it, Wendy? I think so. Okay. This lady said, come, and her horses are swimming across this flooded area that's also covered with ice. I mean, this is like the most awful thing ever. And her horse is like, okay, mom, here I come. Wow. That's the best example of horses. (laughs) Either that or they're desperate. That or they think you're gonna feed them, one or the other. Yeah. But the point being that animals should come to you even through hellfire and brimstone, they should come to you. For example, I cannot imagine leading a horse from a boat because there's a lot of horses, even my horses, that probably would be like, see ya. And then there's other horses that I promise you, they won't go in a trailer normally and going into a trailer in three feet of water would <laughs> be a bit of a challenge. So that's part of our homework. They should be easy to catch, easy to lead, easy to handle, easy to load by anybody. And so that maybe you're not home. Maybe your next door neighbor has to catch your horses. Maybe you're you know, on a plane somewhere on vacation and the flood comes. So somebody should be able to handle them. And then the second plan you have to have is a shelter-in-place plan because you can't get out. So this is a girlfriend of mine down in Florida. I just love this picture because, like, I'm not going anywhere because you think there's some water on my place. You should see the road down the down the thing, you know. So she couldn't get out, and she just said, "Well, we've got a shelter-in-place plan, and the horses are sort of standing in the out of the rain um, in her barn, but they had a plan. Uh, So whatever our our plan would be." The things we have to think about is, I know there's water, water everywhere, but we also got to think about clean water to drink and those kind of things. Do we have electrical? Do we have a backup? Do we have a generator? Do we have heat sources if it's cold? Because it sometimes does flood when it's cold. Um, do we have all the things that we need in our homes um, to be able to survive? Have we moved our equipment? You know, you don't want to leave the tractor down there in the in the in the flood zone. Uh, you know all those things and then of course i would have my truck fueled and hitched in case there really is an emergency when the water finally goes down you can get your horse to um, safe uh, treatment from the veterinarian so getting the veterinarian to come out to your place in a flood ain't going to happen so you're going to have to come up with something and uh i love this picture there's a gal that posted this on facebook and i just love it because it's over in australia and there's some significant flooding, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. And and I think all horse people are going to do that. The thing is, is your horse ready for that? Has your horse been trained to stand tied? Is he? Can you trust him to be sta- standing tied to the chain link fence and not pull the damn thing down? Because I know lots of horses that would. So, you know, do that training for whatever the worst case scenario is uh, so that your horse knows how to put up with it. Because standing there for two hours, no big deal. But standing there for 24 hours, 48 hours or 72 is going to get a bit more challenging that's what we have to do. All right so let's take a look at what just happened this last couple days. This yeah. is a picture from NOAA of the estimated flooding the uh, water that that rain fell in that area of Tennessee that you guys have been seeing all over the news and if you have noticed, a really dark uh, reddish purple is right outside of waverly mckelvin and bold spring uh, and that's where they were getting somewhere between 6 and 20 inches of rain uh, all in in just a very short period of time and that's why this disaster has happened so this is a picture above where loretta lynn's farm is notice there's water going over the bridge so nobody's driving across the bridge They were basically forced to shelter in place because there's so much water going through there. There's nobody leaving at that point. And this is unfortunately the person who uh, drowned. You can see the the picture of him right before he got swept downstream. And I've been watching a lot of things on social media the last two days since this happened. And there's a lot of people like, why couldn't you just hold on? I mean, come on, just wait till the water goes down. So I'm going to show you why. Because this is a picture from this particular location of the water that he was trying to hold on. In. And you cannot hold on. You are not strong enough and it is too cold and you're hit by trees and logs and all the other things that are upstream from you. There is no way you can hold on. And How many foot of
0: water a, uh, roughly that, is that at that point?
1: That water is moving uh, based on. I'm just looking at the video. Me and my husband were trying to estimate that. And we were thinking somewhere around 25 miles an hour. And it's that water is hauling 25 miles an hour. Yeah, but how deep? uh, Right there, I'm not sure. It looked like it was about six feet deep. Yeah. Um, I know it normally is a pretty little uh, waterfall right there. But that's so much water and and I'm going to show you some totals for how much water it really was. So I'm taking you now to Waverly and Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Waverly is the town that has lost a lot of people. Hurricane Mills is the ranch where um, Wayne was lost um, and drowned in that situation I just showed you. And we're going to take a look at some of the ideas that are that we've already discussed on how we can do these things. So. I went to the river gauge for Hurricane Creek and pulled the information. Um, Again, that's freely available. You can find it on the internet anywhere. And what I did was I said, hey, I'm going to take a look at Hurricane Creek and determine how big is their drainage basin and get an idea of how much water was coming through in that video. So if you pull the information, the computer does it magically for you. And it turns out that from McCowan all the way down to hurricane mills the size of the basin is somewhere around 75 square miles and why is that going to be important there's the there's the value the computer figured out that one little creek has 75 square miles of of precipitation that it's collecting and of course it's literally in the middle of where that 15 inches of rain was coming so this is where the math comes in, and I won't make you do it. I've actually calculated it for you. If you've got a 75 square mile drainage basin, you get 15 inches of rain, assuming you know no evaporation or anything else, and you multiply it by the the known factor, which is 17 millions of gallons of one inch of rain on a square mile, times 75 miles and 15 inches of rain. You get 19 billion gallons, Wendy, coming through there. That's 33. 30,000 Olympic swimming pools were coming through that little creek, which is normally, you know, six inches deep and cute and all those things. It ain't cute anymore when this happens. And it has literally covered their entire farm. So if we take those ideas and then we take a look at the topographic map, which you guys can get for free, USGS, you guys are going to love the USGS. (laughs) They're going to get a lot of hits today. So USGS.gov. If you go there, you can get a topographic map of where you live and pull all that information. And all that white stuff behind to the, to the right, that is all floodplain. And where has been pulling sediment down out of the mountains for billions of years. And that right there tells you, you don't wanna be building your, your house in a floodplain period. So that just, that's information. You can go to Google Earth and you can map where you live. That's what I did here. I used Google Earth. I went to Hurricane Mills Road and that's where the farm is. And then I pulled in their satellite. So now you can see the satellite. If you take a look at the satellite, um, on the left hand side of the picture is Loretta Land's beautiful home. And then there's a nice big pond and you notice that there's a lot of dark stuff. That's because that's a swamp out the back of her home, which is part of a pasture. Well, guess what? That's also the floodplain for that little cute creek. So it's gonna go across there. And you can see it on the satellite, just clear as day what actually is gonna happen. So now let's go take a look at what FEMA, which has a flood mapping service. Again, they'll do this for free for you. If you go to FEMA's flood map service, You can find your county. You can find your actual location. That's what I did. I found that uh, red dot is a a location that I put on the map, and I just I just pulled it down. Uh, Took me 10 minutes to pull this down yesterday. And it shows you all the greenish blue is where they expect the water to go when it floods. So she built her house on the high ground you can tell somebody knew what they were doing when they built their her house on the high ground and you notice on the other side of the creek that other structure that's there they've got some kind of a little um uh, museum or something there again it's on the high ground they knew that that was going to be a problem there's the bridge in the center that covers the the that goes between the two so they already knew that that was a problem and if you go to Waverly, where's the, the barn on this map?
0: Though, where can you go back?
1: Uh, the barn is actually right there next to her house. There's a there's a barn right in- where the pond was. Uh, that big gray thing. That's the barn. Okay. Not the one he was holding on to. He was downstream by that time. Oh. If you go to waverly the same thing so you've been seeing all these pictures of these houses being pushed downstream and all those things we'll take a look at this map there's a lot of houses in the flood zone and all this is freely available guys this is not magic i didn't have to call anybody it's all available for free that's the whole city of waverly and it basically has been built in a floodplain and all those homes are on floodplains so I wouldn't buy a home there i can tell you that but then the worst part of that is take a look on the upper left there's two red uh houses or 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 uh, roofs that you can see it can says you use zone, your
0: pointer to point it out
1: uh zone ae right here oh yeah and if you take a look at that i pulled off that same the red area, I pulled that off. There's those houses. Okay, those red, red uh, things right here. That's what you saw earlier. And I don't know what's going on with my hang on. I don't that's why I didn't want to use my thing. So those red roofs right there, this is across the street and every bit of this is flooded. Well, guess what? If you look at this, there's the red roofs and every bit of this is flooded. So it was already predicted. They already knew this is what's going to happen. And I, 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 I don't know. Some lawyers probably going to call me. But anyway, um, <laughs> the point being, to the point of this, right here, between the railroad track and the and the river, I mean, the, between the railroad track and the road, take a look back at this. The railroad track and the road, they predicted that was going to be a big pond. Well, guess what? It's the big pond right there. Oh, wow. So the point being, these tools that are freely available to you are actually excellent. They actually help, and they are very good at predicting these kind of things. So you guys got to do it on your own to figure out how to keep your horses and your farm safe. So I know some of you are thinking, what does that have to do with my horses and my farm? I just want to know exactly what to do. Well, I'm just gonna tell you, it's just like barn fires. There's minimal response time. If you've got a flash flood coming, particularly if you live out West, or if you live in an area that's got a very steep uh, drainage basin, you don't have a lot of time. Flash flooding is is instantaneous. You you have a few minutes response time. You gotta have a preparedness plan ahead of time.
0: And I'll tell you-, you... that uh, Germany, it was so sudden and so fast and so devastating. I promise you who owned all these beautiful trailers
1: did not want to lose them. So that shows me that he didn't have time to hitch trailers and get them out before the flood came, you know, and, and this is right, this is from the flooding that happened in Nebraska that, that was uh, the Missouri River, but if you live on the Missouri River and you've got all this stuff, I promise you they he didn't want to lose it, and it must have come up fast if he didn't have time to just even move his trailers. So. Uh, we see it everywhere. We see it with barns. We see it with trailers. We see it with all kinds of fixed facilities for horse people. Obviously, they didn't have time, or maybe this was their plan. I don't know. Maybe that's the highest ground around. Actually, Wendy, you know what's really funny? When I was over in Australia, they had a place like this, and they had built the round pin up on this big um, berm, and it was about 12 feet above everything else, and then they put the round pin on it. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, that's my, my flood thing. Now, I'm looking around, and it's flat as heck. And I'm thinking, flooding from what? He said, I live in the Hunter Valley, and it oh, floods yeah. here all the time. And sure enough, that's what he did, was he put his, flood, his, his round pen up there. And he had a flood coming. He put his horses up on that on that berm and let the river go around them. Now, how the heck you get out to your horses to feed them for the next couple of days, I don't know. But at least your horses are alive. Theoretically. So I thought that was a pretty good plan. Maybe that's where we need to start getting a little smarter.
0: Anyway. Okay. So uh, maybe you have an answer for this, but say somebody goes to the topographical map and they find out their house or their barns in a floodplain, which now I can hear them all having a heart attack and (laughs) sucking air really bad.
1: (laughs) What can they do? Okay. The first thing I would do is tell you. Move the barn? No, just uh, well, it, it, you know, it it is challenging. It, if you find you actually have purchased a place and it's already got a fixed facility in a flood zone, that is very challenging. Uh, to me, uh, I I think you're probably the same way. I hate it to lose the barn and the house and all the stuff. To me, get better insurance, but come up with a plan how I can move the animals. Uh, I do. I like the ideas of people who have multiple um, fencing options, so that they have the, the 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 fence for the part of their pastures that is on high ground, and then they just put their horses on the high ground whenever it looks like it might rain. Um, that that comes down to a plan, but really it comes down to good insurance. Uh, how you sell in this world of having these many. Um, answers that are freely available online how you sell a place like that i don't know but then you get that that's a this is a good example so this is one of the gals she came to my class and she's like yeah i gotta get some pictures for you because you won't believe this sure enough that's her farm and that's her area of corvallis oregon and they apparently get flooded through there pretty regularly and she's like listen you know it came up and i didn't even know i was asleep and there they are leading their horses out and then there they are driving out with their horses now i just said don't do it right they did what they did uh whether they should have or not uh you see the people that are sort of hanging on the edge of the trailer don't do that people <laughs> that's not very smart but anyway they got everything out they got the people out they got the horses out they got their horse trailers out um but you're right uh it's a beautiful area to live in under normal conditions And there's so much water that comes through there that almost every single facility is affected. You know, you're right. Our government is having problems with this. When do you say you cannot build anything down there? And it really comes down to it should be under flood insurance, but you can't get flood insurance if there's really a a chance of flooding. So at some point, what we should be doing is saying, hey, we're not going to allow anybody to build that down there. And I know in some communities they're actually buying back the properties that are in those affected zones, and they're making it zones so you can't build a fixed facility down there. You can have a, a horse pasture if you want. You can re- have a rice field, but you can't have, or a corn field, but you can't have fixed facilities. And you've you've hit on it that you're right on it. Uh, what do we do? How how do you say no? I know it's beautiful right now, but you can't do it because we know the predicted chance of flooding is is very high. I don't
0: know. Well, and, and the, with... the thing about the storms that we're having lately like Germany and like Tennessee, you know, they're telling you it's going to rain, but they're not telling you you're going to have 15 inches of rain in what what, what it seems to be happening is we're having much like we had it here actually. We got 6 inches of rain a couple of years ago after we'd had a lot of other rain and it only hit my little town and one little village near me, and it didn't hit the other side of the county. So, you know, when everybody else is like, What are you talking about? We're like six inches of rain. They canceled the schools and the buses couldn't, you know. And again, we didn't flood here because we're up high, but the little creek down below, you know, was over the road. So, um, the, the storms appear to be changing in these intensity of a lot of water coming down fast.
1: And I'm not an expert hydrologist or anything, but I do know that a lot of things I've read say that you know as it gets warmer, warmer air can hold more water and then releases that water. So you're right. Uh, I, I grew up in Florida and it was not unusual to have these torrential downpours every single day. To us, it was like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Well, now I live in Georgia and we have them here. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> you know, and eventually, apparently you're having them there too. So. At, at what point, how much of that is climate change? How much of that is just uh, temperature changes? Uh, I don't know, but uh, you're right. And part of it, it comes down to don't be a ostrich. Don't stick your head in the ground. You know, look around, realize that these kinds of things can happen, and you got to come up with a way to try to solve it. And for everything else that there's not, you get insurance, because honestly, that's the only way to really cover yourself. Yeah, and good insurance. So now let's talk a little bit about this. You know, we don't recommend anybody doing these kinds of things. These are for some professional rescuers going out to get some horses after the most of the water has gone down. But that water is still moving fast enough. I would be very careful about having anybody go in to get my horses under those kind of things. Horses aren't dumb. If they've made it this far, they'll make make it a little bit further. They can wait another till tomorrow and we'll go get them tomorrow. Um, they will find the highest ground around, if at all possible. Of course, you know, if you look this damn good, Wendy, doing this, then maybe you can go do some swift water rescue. Anyway, no, it's, uh, yes, I, I love this. This is from Houston. and it, 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 it just it, It's so posed. It's awesome. Anyway, this is what a lot of people do, is they try to find a, a better solution. But there's a lot of horses that you can't do these kind of things with. They would be in the tractor, driving the tractor, doing all those kind of things. It's really dangerous to do. So again, just comes down to having a preparedness plan and getting them out ahead of time, if at all possible. If you do have to respond, I guess this is, you know, this is about all you can do. I certainly don't want you walking through the water. Have you trained your horses to be led by a golf cart and a tractor? You know that's what it really comes down to. So when I saw these pictures, when this happened a few years ago, I said, well, why didn't they they put their horses on the highest ground around and they said well that was the highest ground around (laughs) the horses were smart enough to get in the trailer and i was like well that's pretty cool this is a significant challenge the rescuers went out to this location for these horses had a pretty good idea they said well we they took a boat and they took a bunch of hay and they just put it in a canoe and let the horses eat out of the canoe and i guess they were drinking out of the water they did manage to get them out on the third day but that's a lot of water to be standing in for three days and those those horses obviously ended up at the vet clinic because of it. so there the water is finally starting to go down um, in that area and the the thing about this Wendy is that that becomes when you know there's a problem she was told there's a problem and she still didn't get her horses out at what point do we start saying hmm maybe you need to talk to the nice animal control officer maybe you need to get charged for this because why are those horses being forced to endure something that you already knew was a problem and i don't know if you've heard about the cypress trails out in houston uh, texas or not but that lady has been hit several times by floods and same thing as you're talking about when do you say move the barn and she's lost i don't know 50, 60 horses over the years because of all the floods that have come to her place, but she won't move it. So, and she continues to get animals. At what point do you say, hmm, somebody needs to talk to you or make a decision? Now this one I love, okay? This is some friends of ours in in South Carolina and they uh, have a barge that's available to them and they taught their horses how to get on the barge so they can move them from island to island. Now that's pretty extreme preparedness, Wendy. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'm not even sure my horses would stay on the dang barge. I mean, maybe they would, I don't know, but that's a bit of a challenge. So the point of this slide is whatever resources you need, you gotta line them up now. You can't be waiting until the last minute. If you're gonna use the barge, you better have a, a contract or whatever, because I promise you somebody else wants to use the barge too. That's just the point of this slide. Is, is think through the process. What do you got to have? And if you do, make sure you've lined up the correct things. I just I love that picture. Yeah. Anyway, you were talking about Houston, and i got to show you these pictures. So this is where Rebecca gets to be the butthead. So Rebecca always says, get your horses out early. You guys are dumb because you're waiting till the last minute. And why am I always seeing these pictures of people loading horses at the last minute and dragging them out with boats and all these things? And they said, quote, it's historic flooding. I was like, I've been to Houston. That's my picture of what the flood thing underneath the. the um, oh, look at that. How, how high up does that go? It goes up to 15 feet. And that's before the flooding. So I took that picture like a year before the flooding. And then they said historic flooding when all that. And I said, it's not historic somebody knows that it gets that deep there so what are you guys thinking do you not drive around and look sometimes you just gotta look around right i mean come on this is sadly what your horses will be exposed to if you don't think ahead and and that's why i'm showing you oh things. i remember that trapped...
0: video up in upper right that was they get
1: trapped by fences they get left in places um you know, they they are not dumb. They'll find the highest ground around, but your porch might not like having all those horses on the on the porch. Those kind of things, and it, it's really a welfare issue for them too, because they don't have anything to eat. They're they're forced to drink nasty water. Uh, they're exposed to the sun. They're exposed to the rain. They all the other things that can happen. So that's why it's important for us, it's you know, as owners, to think ahead. Now this is the worst case scenario. It gets so deep that they're forced to swim. And I love to swim my horses. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort because the way I always teach my students is I tell them to stand up. Wendy, stand up. Okay? Let's we'll see want how to short I over. am. See? Yep. Bend over. Yeah. And then what I want you to do is turn your head and try to get your head up. Can you feel the muscles on the back of your neck? Oh, yeah. Pulling. Yeah, they pull really hard. So a horse not only has to lift his head and neck, he has to tip his nose up while he's swimming, and he's not really made to swim, to try to keep his nostrils above the water. You notice in that picture, the only thing above is the head and the nostrils. So he's fighting the whole time he's swimming to try to keep his head and nostrils above. They don't like their ears. and what? To keep his nostrils above the water. The thing is, that puts his head down right at the level of the water, which means he can't say, oh, well, there's a fence over there or there's, that's where I need to go, the bank's over there, or the, you know, the ocean's that way, the, the, the beach is this way. They really can't see if there's any disturbance in the water, which, of course, in flood water or even ocean water, there's a lot of disturbance. So they're just sort of flying blind or swimming blind, and they can only swim so long. Because, I mean, when I go swimming, I love to swim, but usually I swim for about 10 minutes and then I hang out for a little bit and then go swim for 10 minutes because it's a lot of physical effort. So the point of this is if your horse has to swim more than 10 or 15 minutes, he's probably going to drown. And when they find these horses that are have found the quote highest ground around, sometimes they have found a building or a tree branch and they put their chin on it just to keep their poor little nose above the Thing, and they're trying to breathe, and they're just so exhausted, they're letting the rest of their body relax. So, let's not get our horses in those kind of situations. This is a good example of that. This is, happens to be over in Australia. This horse is so exhausted, they found the horse, they're trying to tow it with, they're, they're moving the boat backwards so that the prop won't hurt the horse, but they're holding the horse's head out of the water. And he, he's so exhausted, he just gave up, and he's just floating and just trying to breathe at the same time and obviously you would have to be a really good handler and you have to have really good resources to be able to handle those kind of things uh this is another one just happens to be in Loudoun county virginia uh horses that were in barns and they were trying to get those horses out and and leading them with boats when was um, this extremely challenging count- huh when was this picture uh this was four or five years ago maybe six or seven years ago now and sadly one of the horses drowned Um, they were trying to make the effort and the horse just panicked and, and, and that's the problem. You know, if they panic or they get up underneath the boat, things go wrong. Well, and this is
0: either late, late fall or early spring. There's no leaves on the trees. I'm trying to remember because I live not far from Loudoun County. Yeah. Wow. So
1: very distressing and, and it's very difficult. And obviously the biggest thing is even if you have boats and people and PPE and all the things that fire rescue has, You can only get one at a time. So if you got 20, that's 20 trips and you're putting people in in challenging places and you're obviously taking a risk on your animals. So got
0: to think ahead. I mean, you got to look at this picture and realize there is a man in the water and God knows what temperature the water is, given there's no leaves on the trees and and how the others are dressed and, you know, trying to do a rescue. It's uh,
1: just awful. You know, this is the other way you can do it. (laughs) Just put him in the boat. No, obviously this baby is exhausted. You got to think about, she's been out there a couple, this after Hurricane Harvey. Babies like to lay down, what, 16 hours a day or something. He hasn't been able to lay down because if he laid down, he'd be in the water. So he's so exhausted. They put him in the boat and he laid there, which means he's really not doing well. But it's a great picture. And uh, the point of that is, you know, just don't leave them in those kinds of places where we don't have a plan comes back to the old thing we always talk about. Do your homework. Find those maps, those kind of things. And what I'll do, Wendy, is I'll send you the links so that you can put them up on the site, and people can just click on those links and go to them. For some of the state-specific things, you'll have to find it for your state. But if you keep looking around, you'll find it. And uh, update your insurance. Lastly, if you need information, that's the information on the book and if you need to get a hold of me that's my cell phone number that's my email and Wendy i really appreciate you having me
0: well and you're so generous to just put up your cell phone number and let people call you you know it's and um, they do it's great
1: yeah. and sometimes sometimes like kimberly she she called me and said hey do you horseback ride too i was like yeah we could go horseback ride <riding." laughs> Wendy i'm going to be up in Loudon County next weekend so
0: Oh, rats, I'm supposed to be in Connecticut next weekend. What, I um, know. Text me anyway. Let me know where you are.
1: I will. Um,
0: so does anybody have any questions? Like you, you've been a really silent audience. Either you're stunned or you're shocked or Rebecca's done such a good job that nobody has any questions because there's it's been really quiet out there. Just let us know.
1: Ellen's right. It, is, it looks like a chemical burn. She's talking about the flooding um, yeah. on the skin and she's exactly right that's what it is
0: yeah yeah stunned i mean and the and the bottom job bottom line is you know do your homework and it's do your homework never hurts to do your homework and not need the homework that you've done right that's the whole idea is to not need it in the end that's um, right yeah exactly.
1: Yeah, so people are yeah, going we'll, to. We'll we'll come up with a list of all those websites too, guys, so that uh, you know when you can Rebecca, put them. look, if you so could actually can...
0: make me a PDF with all those links, then what okay. I can do is put it up for the free downloads on the website. Because if I put it over on the on the YouTube, it's gets messy over there. It's gets lost. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can just have a flood sheet, and I'll stick it Perfect. up. Perfect.
1: I will awesome. go do that right now.
0: Great. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you everybody for joining us, and Rebecca, once again, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and information, and I. And I have no idea what we're going to talk about next, but I'm sure you'll be back.
1: <laughs> come up with something. Great. Thank it's you, sweetie. it
0: sometime, right?
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I saw and, and honestly, I learned a lot too, because some of these sites I had only been cursorily touching and I got really serious about it. And wow. I mean, it was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. And again, thank you, Rebecca, for, for, Presenting another wonderful uh, webinar, and uh, we'll be back on Thursday with Melissa Deal talking about positive reinforcement. So I'll see awesome. you there. And thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thank Bye. you.